Hello, good evening, and welcome. I'm Simon Bestwick. And I'm Gemma Files, and this, of course, is No Darkness But Ours. This is the third part of our deep dive into Near Dark, Catherine Bigelow's 80s vampire classic, and the first of three collaborations with screenwriter Eric Redd. You'll find a link to parts one and two in the description below. Maybe what saves May isn't just so much the love for Caleb. There's some quality in herself that even yes, everything she's done. Yes, because she thinks about eternity. She has that interesting thing that she says to Caleb right at the beginning, where she says, you know, do you see them stars? Yeah. Lat from those stars. It's going to take a million years to reach here. And when it does, and, it, and, it'll be, and the, those stars will be dead, but I'll still be here. That's yeah. why you never met no girl like me. Exactly. You know, and, That's you know, so, so, so she's and or even her thing about the night being so bright that there's a beauty in her perceptions and her ability to, you know, um, to not just move on to the next thing, the next thing, the next yeah. thing, the next thing, to not just be a predator. I mean, she is a predator. Yeah, she's a very good predator, actually. Yeah, but obviously, uh, but, and yet, at under it all, there was un unlike with Homer, unlike with Severin, unlike Diamondback and Jesse. Yeah, there is some quality in her that is that that resists what she's. What yes, she's what she's been made. You know, yeah. um, uh, Severin is maybe a little smarter and more seeking than his two elder relatives, um, who are kind of. Not passive, but they're very relaxed with each mm -hmm. other and relaxed with their system, you know. Um, and but uh, but all his cleverness is cruelty. Yeah, that's all he cares about, you know. It's like, the, yeah, I like to insult people. I like to make people attack me. I like to, you know, get people into a position where they realize. You know, it's like I'll, I will play a gormless, you know, dumb cowboy hick. You know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> you two are so good looking. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's like, are you two ladies looking to have some fun? You know, it's like, and and he just wants to get them in a position where they realize how fucked they are, how yeah. completely. It's like you just lost your life. You gave me your life. Yeah. Over nothing. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like you say, they, that triumvirate, him and uh, him and Jesse and Diamondback, they could have, they're the, they're the core of it, they could go on forever. It starts to weak, I mean, in a way, it starts to weaken when those aspects of humanity come out. Because if you, I, 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 if, if, as you say, Homer was turned to provide uh, Diamondback with a substitute child, because he's kind of the, the weak, because he is, I mean, he's, a, he's, he's got the right personality profile in the sense that he's a psychopath mm. um but at the same time he's also um he, he want he, he he wants what he wants and he doesn't and he doesn't he doesn't have any sort of forethought about it at all and he he's a coward um you know yeah. he's 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 grown up enough to realize that he is the weakest member the weakest link they could leave him behind at any time he could die at any time um, and none of them would give a shit because 
he doesn't provide anything for any of them anymore. You know, it's like even Diamondback, it's sort of like, well, you know, it used to be nice when you thought of me as, as your mom, but uh, now you're just a horrible old man. You know? <laughs> and, and you, you know, you whine, you whine. Yeah, but when he turns May, he create he he's the weak link, and then he, in May he creates a weaker link in that unit because he's no. The, the thing is, I think they all like May better than they like Homer. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's the weird part. She's the weak link in the sense that, yeah. unlike the others, she has some something of some aspects of humanity yeah. left in her that, yeah. uh, that that is the weird that is her weakness, but she's very effective when she's with them she knows how to play them and they know that she knows how to play them and you can see you know diamondback kind of smiling at her when when she plays up to jesse you know and you can see severin being like oh oh gal yeah 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 but she yeah she's Yes, it's, again, she's got some quality that will. She's got the quality that she, where she's not gonna be content with that, no. with that family not unit. Forever. She, she, where she, she learns will, on her feet, and where is... she will look beyond this, and that's why she reaches out to Jesse, to Doctor Jesse, to Caleb. Yeah, and that connection is what ultimately brings about the collapse of the the collapse of the vampire family. Yeah, you're perfectly correct. Okay, so I'm gonna tell you uh, the Eric Red story. Um, oh. That I okay. When I was teaching um, at uh, when I was when I was teaching at the diploma mill, um, the Toronto Film School, um, and uh, I was uh, one of my my fellow teachers was a woman named Sherry Coleman, and um, Sherry came out of a uh, screenwriting and uh, TV script writing background and. Um, you know, one of her um, longest jobs was with a uh, was with a soap opera, uh, which was kind of interesting. She had some really interesting things to say about that and how, you know, you have to rewrite constantly when you're working on a soap opera. But um, she was also <laughs> when she was when she was down in the States, uh, she was I, I think it was in L.A. and she had formed a screenwriting group you know so everybody who wanted to make the jump to uh to writing feature films you know bunch a bunch of them would come to this screenwriting group and and one of the one of the people who came to the screenwriting group was eric red and uh eric red at that time was you know like a young dude from texas or wherever you know um and she's she was sort of like he was kind of like bill paxton actually and, um, you know, so he'd come in and he'd um, and he'd like, you know, talk manically and, he, you know, whenever he brought something in, it would always be full of incredible violence, you know, <laughs> incredible darkness and violence. And, um, she, you know, uh, and I think he had brought um, I think he definitely brought near dark in at one point, um, like the the earliest version of near dark and um you know, and every time he'd bring something in, everybody would pass it around and then they'd like spend, I don't know, an hour or something telling him why it wasn't practical. 
<laughs> you know why you know he needed likable characters and he needed you know it's like it's like you, you need to understand that not many people want to see a movie that's just completely full of darkness and violence and finally you know um and finally he he came in one night and he said well none of you have to worry about me anymore because you remember that thing that you spent last week shitting on i just sold it so fuck all y'all <laughs> understand that i couldn't i could understand that impulse yeah absolutely <laughs> i used to go to a writer's workshop in south manchester and there were some lovely people there don't get me wrong but um you know my stuff especially as i kind of really started to because i mean when I, when I started going there i'd kind of i was in a bit of a creative bad patch where i'd kind of forgotten what it why why it was i'd wanted to write in the first place and how and felt sometimes like how to write I remember though I, I tried to write a I tried to write a crime novel and the idea was it began with um, a, a, an act of violence by a mentally disturbed police officer and his colleagues covered it up yeah. and because the whole thing would evolve, would evolve about years later about the, the victim's brother trying to find her right it was important actually I felt that there should be one scene from her point of view the only scene where that was going to happen that could be could be was the scene where she was killed yeah I tried to convey this and everyone was just basically the the general consensus was I needed psychiatric help um and um I ended up deleting it uh the whole chapter so I I, I haven't got a chance I've never I have no opportunity to reread it and if it was any good or not but it remind it does remind me very much of the you know the um the jean cocteau thing you know uh, whatever what people other people criticize you for mm. cultivate because that's that's your yeah, no it's um, it's it's absolutely true i mean the more the more you lean specifically into you know listen there's there's packaging and there's learning how to turn a phrase and there's learning how to cut how to cut stuff out and and put stuff in but the more i think that you that you lean into what intrigues you and you try to ask yourself why it intrigues you why do you keep coming back to these things over and over and over again um the better things become uh that's yeah. my personal feeling and you know it's like so so if i want to write about guys having sex and you know and and ghosts on the internet and you know uh, you so stronger than because a writer the moment you say you know fucking yeah. what i like writing about this shit yeah exactly this is what i like this is exactly a, I, I like you know, you know and you know this this you like, know why, why why do all your characters feel like they've done something horribly wrong oh i don't know you know <laughs> Because <laughs> I've spent most of my life feeling like I've done something horribly wrong, and maybe what I did horribly wrong was to be born as a person, as me, <laughs> was to be me. You know, it's like, oh, oh there was your first mistake, man. Was your first enough, mistake. With, with regards to that chapter, which, as I said, the, 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 the victim was, this, this young woman was, it was this young woman being like, you know, sexually assaulted and murdered. Yes, yes. Um, one of the people in the group, um, who would later who'd become quite well known actually became a local councillor was a lady called Sami Mali right. um, and she kind of came to sort of a sort of prominence uh, uh, with uh, her, a memoir called Belonging where she basically she had been uh, at the age of 14 she was forcibly married yeah. to someone in, to a guy in Pakistan and um, basically wasn't allowed to go home until he'd impregnated her yeah. um, 
And so you can imagine, so her wedding night was basically pretty much a scene of horror. Oh, yeah. Uh, and again, I'm not telling tales out of school here because this is stuff that she's written about and been very open about. And a big part of what she ended up doing was yes. uh, you know, being very much an advocate against things like forced marriage. And it was remarkable to see her come in and at first mm. very, very quiet, shy, you know, you, you, barely, you wouldn't say, you know, wouldn't say beautiful, you could barely hear her. And then, you know, she thought, well, I wasn't sure if anyone would be interested in my story. We were like, are you fucking kidding? And of course, she just went from strength to strength. When she realised people actually wanted to, that, that she did have a story that was yeah. worth listening to. And it very, very quickly became something that got, uh, that got published. And f- from the back of that, she went from like working, you know, in like a selling in a ticket office or something to, as I say, running for the local council and, and winning and, and doing all yeah. this other stuff. So it was quite a, it was quite a journey in itself. But, um, you know, she so, wasn't the group the night that yeah. I read that chapter. And one of her friends, one of her mutual friends said to me, you should, thank, thank God you weren't there. You would have been so disgusted. You'd be so offended. And she actually said to me, you know, the fact that you managed to, that, that everyone, you offended everyone probably means that you described it very well. Yes. Or that you described it accurately, that you, you got yeah, it Yeah, right. exactly. This is um, the thing. Um, so in Eric Red and Catherine Bigelow, we have... I don't know if a partnership per se, but we have a confluence of two people who consistently lean into the things that they are interested in. Yeah. You know, I know for a fact that Catherine Bigelow, who is someone who I had, you know, the pleasure of hugging at one point um, because I finally, you know, I met her, uh, I interviewed her for a, a movie that of hers that I think was done at the absolute lowest point of her career, um, and may even not be available anymore, not be, like, findable anymore, but it was a movie she did with Sarah Pauly called The, oh, the, weight, the, of water. the weight of Water. I think I and, somewhere. Yeah, and this was, like, after K, K-13, The, Widom- the Widowmaker. Um, and which was in a lot of ways, the moment where Hollywood said, well, we're just not going to give you anything anymore. Catherine, you're going to have to go to TV like every other female director, because obviously you were incapable of making a blockbuster film, even though we gave you Harrison Ford and, you know, (laughs) yeah. Um, you know, obviously, you know, it's like there's something wrong with you because you keep making these these movies that are hard to hoe. They, they're dark as fuck. They're full of violence. They're full of sexual violence. They're full of um, they're full of, you know, like like interrogation of gender. You know, it's like the most up thing she's probably ever made is... <laughs> Is um oh shit, uh, Keanu Reeves, uh, Patrick Swayze. Point um, break. Um, point break. Point break. break. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, point break. Yeah, that's that's, the, that's the most upper of a movie that she's ever made. You know, it's like um, <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like Point Break and The Hurt Locker. <laughs> it's like those are the two. Those are the two that you come out going. I don't feel like killing myself. (laughs) I don't feel like everything is terrible. You know, um, she, you know, she started off um, doing these almost experimental things, which were all about male on male violence. Okay. Uh, 
I, I always remember that her thesis film was essentially two guys having a long fist fight in fetishistic detail, you know, and then she goes from that to, um, to, to a biker film with, with Willem Dafoe, so young, he's almost Dewey, but he's still Willem Dafoe, you know, where, you know, as, as like the, you know, the, the wild one. <laughs> with this with this with the same leather um you know leather outfit all leather outfit and oh, um using streets of fire a few years later yes, exactly exactly and it uh you know where <laughs> you know at least at least with her it was like no 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 this is supposed to be fetishistic <laughs> i know what i'm doing here <laughs> yeah, exactly as, as opposed to streets of fire where i was just like do you have any idea how fucking fetishistic this is? Oh, yeah, I, I know, like it. Least, I absolutely the like it. Aspect of um, of Streets of Fire was the idea that Willem Dafoe's character would have the least interest in Diane Lane. Oh, you fuck know, yes, no, you could exactly. You could Bill Paxton maybe and flinging it over the back of his bike and driving yeah, off. Yeah, exactly. You know. Anyways, the the yeah the point being that um you know the uh, the Loveless uh that first film um was I think about five years before, um, before Near Dark. And so she went from The Loveless to Near Dark and it took her that long to be able to get somebody to say, yes, here's some money, you know, and it's not a lot of money, <laughs> but here's some money, you know, to make your fucked up vampire Western written by this insane dude over here, you know, <laughs> from Texas who won't, write about anything except people driving down the highway killing people <laughs> and then three years later they teamed up again and did blue steel yes exactly <laughs> it's shifted all this madness to new york and there's still i mean there's still a scene that's almost straight out of the hitcher in blue steel you know near the yeah. end where Emily curtis just basically rams her car into ron silver and sends him flying and of course he gets up again just like uh John Ryder in the Hitcher, but I mean that's I mean talk about fetishistic the opening credits to Blue Steel yeah. you know these long loving tracking shots around the Smith and Wesson the Smith and Wesson 38 well yeah you know and that's and her her fetishism her her willingness to dive into the details of things you know that that close up of a mosquito at the beginning yeah. of Near Dark and that's when you realize this is in retrospect that this is a very different kind of vampire movie. These people aren't counts. These people aren't, they don't, they don't come from, you know, they, they don't come from Latvia. They're not, you know, you know, they're not Hannibal Lecter. You know, these are people who are like the equivalent of mosquitoes. They live fast and they live hard and they are here to suck your blood. They are here to take everything out of you they are yeah. here to just you know and you kill them or they kill you that's that's mm -hmm. the way it goes but in the middle of it is also that moment of may coming out of yeah so you know under the sodium light you know of yeah, yeah of that of that very buggy night where caleb is just standing around shooting the shit with his friends you know making bad jokes yeah. you know and and she comes out and she's her her hair is like a halo she's yeah. licking an ice cream cone that she probably can't even eat 
Yeah, she's doing little... it because she knows how it makes her look. Oh, oh yes. Yeah, and, <laughs> and she sees him, and instead of being like, you know, I'm going to take you somewhere and kill you, that undercurrent that you have with all the other vampires when they deal with their prey. Yeah. You know, she's she's like, oh, there he is. That guy. That guy that I've been waiting for. Yeah. What somebody, is this? Somebody what she is can this? talk to about how the light will, when that sunlight, when that starlight yeah. gets you in a million About years how bright and loud the night is. Yeah. Someone... You couldn't possibly have that. You can't possibly imagine having that conversation with uh, with Homer or Severin no. or no. Jesse or Diamondback. It's just like it's, Jesse uh, Diamondback are the closest to having that conversation, but no, not even with each other. <laughs> as as somebody once said, as Frankie Boyle once said in a different context, it'd be a bit like trying to get an Amazonian tree frog to understand the plot of Blade Runner. You know, yeah, it's just yeah. kind of it's, the same kind of level of... Uh, it's very much like that. And, you know, the way that... every In every shot, there's something interesting happening. Something you haven't seen before. Or at least, at the time, something I hadn't seen before. I had never seen yeah. a movie that dark. Now, the interesting thing is that when I, when I started out... Um, on my slide towards horror, I found it very difficult to watch actual horror movies. Um, and because horror is very, you know, direct and it's very confrontational, particularly in a movie where you're dealing with sound and you're dealing with, you know, being immersed almost in like a bath of anxiety. And, you know, uh, so I would, you know, I remember seeing things like Company of Wolves. You know, I remember seeing things like, um, yeah, uh, the stuff that always, or, or, or cat people, you know, the stuff that was sort of more about, more about sexuality and more about fantasy, you know, and, and you could tell that it took place in a different universe, often a, a universe where things were artificial, you know, it's like you, you know, you, you don't look at anything really in Company of Wolves and go, wow, that exists in the real world. That you know? <laughs> it's like, cause you know, it doesn't. Think that exists in the real world. Then I'd like to know where you got the mushrooms from. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> so, you know, somebody built that, you know, so often I would be attracted to the more darker forms of, to the more dark forms of fantasy and the darker things in fantasy yeah. you know um the fetishism the um uh the the non-con as people say these days or the dub con <laughs> you know um but uh you know and and the mythology uh and you know and near dark strips out almost everything that you expect to find in a vampire movie but it is the Ur vampire movie. It is, it is, and, and the darkness is, <laughs> is absolute in a lot of weird ways, you know, and it's so American. It is so American. Live fast, die young, um, you know, don't leave a beautiful corpse. You know, it's like these people, you know, they're, they're like, you know, they're going to be like roadkill at the, at the side of, you know, in the middle of the, in, 
not even at the side of the road, in the middle of the road. And they don't give a fuck. They, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like listening to bosses. I don't give a fuck for the first time. <laughs> you know, not a single fuck, not a solitary fuck, not a, not a fuck motherfucker. <laughs> you know, um, there's just something innately gangsta about it. Gangster mm. and gangsta, you know, and because it peels back to the oldest form of gangster gangsta, which is the outlaw, the outlaw family, the cannibal family. It's like looking reading um because I watched John Milius's Dillinger um a while back and it's that kind of mentality with a lot of those kind of um a lot of those kind of like depression era outlaws like mm. Dillinger and uh partly it's a sociopathic thing but of course there's also that kind of thing of well you know you have people who played by the rules of the the American dream you know they work hard and they say yeah. blah 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 and the depression comes along it just wipes that all out and the bank yeah comes along and robs them in a way far more brutal than anything and so it's so it is this kind of thing of well you can either um you can either play by the rules and be treated like a sucker mm. um you know for however many three score and ten or you can um uh you know a short life and a many one basically. yeah absolutely um that's you, you know when, when the original scarface came out that was what people objected to about it and that was why it was censored and banned in some places because of the whole, the world is mine, all mine thing, yeah. you know, uh, because of this, this image of you can get ahead even if you're just a fucking stupid monkey of a man, as long as you get the right, you know, as long as you're willing to shoot somebody, as long yeah. as you're willing to grab a Tommy gun and go, hey, I'm, I'm spitting, I'm spitting, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, and that is the thing with Paul. Yeah, Paul Mooney's Scarface. I mean, he's it suffers obviously from the fact that he's you know, he's clearly from he's clearly more used to a kind of stage background. Yes. But at the same time, there's a very lot of very powerful quality. <coughs> and it is, yeah, he he's he's he he is he's a he's an idiot. He's not a yeah. he's not bright, but he has. But I mean, uh, um, uh, Scarface, Brian De Palma Scarface is mm. a smarter guy. Tony Montana is a smarter guy. <laughs> that much, though, really, when you come yeah, down. Not, not much, but he's smarter than that dude. <laughs> and possibly if he kept his face out of the cocaine, then uh, he might yeah. say, yeah, yo, then yeah, he might exactly. <laughs> that's, Well, that's, that's why they have to give him the cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, and, you know, but, but to be a person who is just absolutely selfish, just absolutely driven by their own selfish desires, yeah. And, um, you know, a, a person who's like, yeah, I'll fuck my sister because, you know, she's the only person who loves me. <laughs> you know? um, and and doesn't see a problem with it, really. But, yeah, there's he kind of in both incarnations of it. He kind of does. It's the one thing he can't kind of acknowledge to himself. It's it's in, in, in the Palmer thing. It's her. It's her who says that. Come on. You, this is yeah. what you want to do. Fuck me. Um there's a wonderful, I think I mentioned a while back when we were in England, the Rucker, there's a, a TV series called Knights of God, starred oh, John yeah. in this main. Um, but the novelization, it's very hard to find on video, but if you get the chance, the novelization of it um, is worth it. It's written by R Richard Cooper, who scripted the series. Right. And he's got quite a, his style rather reminds me of Alan Garner. Um, mm -hmm. And there's some wonderful bits, a lovely bit of dialogue that's not in the, in the, uh, I don't think it's in the series, but... 
um, that the villain of the, as I said, there's a lot of Arthur, elements of Arthurian myth woven into yeah. it. Uh, the leader of the resistance is called Arthur, and the, the 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 big bad, the guy who leads the the sort of the evil kind of fascist uh, order, the Knights of God, is Mordrin, who is mm. his son. Yes. And he tries, and Mordrin tries to get the main character Gervais to kill Arthur. Mm. Uh, he's basically programmed this idea into this one man who's like Mordrin's greatest enemy, and he must kill him. But he doesn't kill Arthur because he realizes there's a worse enemy out there. And Arthur mm. says, "Hold to that thought. That's going to destroy you." But you know, someone asks him, well, "Why doesn't he just?" Why did he not just kill you himself? And he goes, evil has its own land of dry plains and barren mountains. There's one yet he can't climb. Yeah, exactly. That's like Tony's Tony's mountain. The one mountain Tony can't climb is literally acknowledging to yeah. himself that he actually wants to fuck his own sister. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, and so, and and there's something incestuous about vampirism, generally, yeah. you know, Um and because b because it is like, you know, this terrible thing happened to me. I did this terrible thing to you. You do this terrible thing to somebody else. Yeah. And I make you, you bomb. make another person, you make another person. And, and, the per and the person you make is always, at first, your victim. Yes. At first, your victim. And you, and you alter them so that they cannot be happy with anybody else yeah it creates a family relationship but it also creates a, a sort of fucked up sexualized relationship as oh, well yeah. yeah that's kind yeah. of uh, and you know and and that's that's another thing that i love about that the trio you know mm. in in the center of near dark is that yeah you <laughs> you get the feeling they've done a lot of things it's, it's like, uh, you know, it's like uh, close quarters. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, there's, almost certainly been, there's, there's almost certainly been at least one three-way. Yep. <laughs> at any rate, the point being that, um, <laughs> that, does when I, that when I first went to see it, I was just like, you know, not quite the scales have fallen from my eyes, but, but it was a lot like that. It was, yeah, yeah. it was just like. Um, you know, and, and, and a little bit before that, uh, before that, maybe, um, was, uh, was the, uh, oh God, uh, Tony Scott, The Hunger, was The Hunger before? Um, I think it, it may have been, let me just, uh, yeah. Google is, Google is one's friend in these circumstances, uh, oh, that sounded very potter, Google is one's friend in these circumstances. Yeah. Um. Because again, the hunger was this moment where I was like, "Nineteen eighty-three, yeah." Yes, you can do that. You can just play Bella Lugosi's dead, and, <laughs> <laughs> and and cut between like three different things happening at the same time. Cut poetically, so that each image reinforces every other image. You know, um, you can just have two people picking up two other people at a club and bringing them home and starting to look like they're ha gonna have sex with them and then killing them. You know, you can just do that. There was just something so um, freeing about it. It reminded me of like the first time I read a, a Vertigo comic. Um, and again, it's like information coming in through every orifice, through every, way that you can get information. I'm going to show you two things at the same time. 
I'm going to make you hear three things at the same time. And you're going to have to put them all together yourself. So the hunger was definitely um, part of that sort of mm, a bit music video-ish, a bit tone poem-ish kind of way of looking at vampirism. But uh, the hunger is, although it was, you know, although it was set ostensibly in America, um, maybe it's the Tony Scott thing, but um, it is very, very European in its intent. Mm -hmm. Uh, It actually reminds I, not that I had seen Jean Roland at that time, but it reminds me in retrospect of a Jean Roland kind of vampire film. You know? Yeah, yeah. I um, and um, still, it's like people who are very classy, people who are rich, people who, you know, play classical music, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and this, on the other hand, near dark like i keep saying so american and to go back to the serial killer thing um i believe that elliot layton's um seminal uh analysis of serial killer culture um hunting humans had just come out around that time as well um but also the double punch of skip inspectors light at the end versus um versus just Clive Barker generally, you know, yeah. had, had gotten me to a place where I was sort of fine with the craziness of seeing a guy fuck a wall and, you know, I, the, the ape took hold of his upper lip and peeled, peeled it back like a balaclava. Yeah. You know, peeled his yeah. head back like a, uh, a, a balaclava, you know, um, and here was the moment where I was like, no, you know, you know what? I, I think I'm OK seeing this on screen. And you can hear the concluding part of our deep dive into Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark here at the same time next week. No Darkness But Ours is made possible through generous donations from horror enthusiasts just like you. If you'd like to support us, you can sign up to our Patreon and get access to exclusive content, or you can make a one-off donation via Ko-Fi. Links in the description below. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know in the comments, share and subscribe, and don't forget to hit the like button if you're watching us on YouTube. Let us know as well if there's anything you'd really like to hear us talking about in the future, and we'll be back with more at the same time next week. Until then, I have been Simon Bestwick. And I remain Gemma Files, and this has of course been No Darkness, Darkness. But Ours. Darkness.